I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Double Elvis. Blood on the Tracks is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Brian Wilson was a musical genius and one of the greatest songwriters of all time. He caught melodies like they were waves. He bottled good vibrations like no one else. And he picked up bad vibrations, too. He broke down. He tripped hard. He didn't just hear music. He heard voices. He tried to lose those voices by making a teenage symphony to God called Smile. But somewhere along the way, Brian Wilson lost his mind instead. This is his story. Uh, hello. This is Rhonda Mawson. I'm a recording engineer who has been working with the legendary beach boy Brian Wilson since around 1988. My current project, however, is rather unique. I've been tasked with trying to reconstruct the infamous Lost Beach Boys album Smile from its original tapes. The idea is that we'll compile the songs for a box set. I thought it might be fun to record my process as we go through this project, but it's uh, it's going to take a while. There's over a hundred tapes of Brian's recorded material, and not all the stuff here is from those Smile sessions. 
There's also an extensive amount of Bryant's home recordings. Some are songs, some are demos, some are just his uh, thoughts. There's an array of usable and unusable material here. In fact, uh, let me play you something at random. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. Some of this stuff is pretty out there. Let me see if I can find something from the smile sessions. Uh, okay, th- this looks good. This is dated November 28th, 1966. Okay, let's get the microphone right into the flames. Make sure we really hear the sound of the crackling. That's it. Okay, are we rolling? Great, great. I want it all in this session, everything. Let's get the fire on the songs. Let's get terror into the music. Let's get, let's get blood on the tracks. Chapter 1. Brian Wilson is burning up. This is 105.4 BRIAN-FM, broadcasting live from the temporal lobe, 24-7, 365 to an audience of one. We never stop. Never, never, never stop talking. And whoa, it's another hot one out there today. Be careful. Temperatures are on the up, and there's also been reports of high pressure. Pressure. (laughs) Pressure. I know about pressure. Things are pretty calm around here at the moment, but sometimes they get a little shaky. Sometimes they get to be a little too much. You'll understand that soon enough, I guess. Where are we? We're in my mind, of course. The mind of Brian Douglas Wilson. It's a place that's been expanded over the years. It's now huge. I mean, it's vast. There are a lot of things in here. Songs, melodies, ideas, but it's so big that there's a lot of dark corners. Corners for things to lurk in. For people to lurk in. Well, good evening. This is Phil Spector taking over B-R-I-A-N-F-M. This is Brian's father on the mic. Not now. I, uh, I'm not even sure where to begin with all of this, you know. There isn't one single moment where my mind became like this. It was more of a collection of things, I guess. Drugs, pressure, family, but mainly uh, a failed masterpiece. Have you ever had something you knew was going to be the best thing you ever did? The best thing you'd ever made? Have you ever watched that slip away right in front of your eyes? Watched it crumble in your hands after you've labored over it for so long? That's what happened to me with an album we were gonna call Smile. It was supposed to be the best thing I'd ever made as an artist, but it it got lost. Or more truthfully, I got lost. One song in particular summed up that project's demise. Breaking news, we're hearing reports of a fire raging through downtown. Smoke is everywhere. We're advising everyone to stay in their homes forever. 
We were recording a track for Smile called Fire. It's all about the Great Chicago Fire, but it was me who was burnt out. I envisioned the track as kind of a freakout in the middle of the record. It was part of an ambitious four-section movement based on the classical elements, air, fire, earth, and water. I had written it in Big Sur, up in the mountains, in the snow, down to the beach, and out to the pool. I mean, everywhere. I wanted to experience the physical surroundings uh, to get that feeling onto tape. After writing in Big Sur, I, I wanted to bring that feeling to the studio. So I had to set the scene. Let's get the fire on the song. I went to a local toy store and bought as many fire department helmets as I could find. I made every musician wear one so that we could all get into character for the song. As I sat in the control room, however, I knew something was missing. We needed something else. The scene wasn't quite set. I spun round in my chair and saw a studio hand. We called him Brother Julius, and I shouted at him louder than I had intended. We need a bucket! He gave me a blank stare. A bucket! I shouted again, is there one? He muttered something about taking a look. And some wood, I shouted. Wood is more important than the bucket. Minutes later, he came back with both. As I came crashing into the main room, the musicians all looked confused, sitting there in their helmets. I threw the bucket down and began piling bits of wood into it. I was sweating profusely while everyone looked at me in utter confusion. When the bucket was full, I shouted, we're ready. Let's get the microphone right into the flames. In came Brother Julius with a burning rag. I could smell the lighter fluid and feel the heat as he walked by. In the bucket, I demanded, just full of glee. I sat and watched the wood take light, then watched the smoke snake up to the tiled ceiling. It was beautiful. It was perfect. I turned to the musicians and said, now you can play. Let's get the microphone right into the flames. I ran back into the control room and shouted, okay, take one, into the talkback mic. The sound swelled through the speakers. It was like a fire truck coming down the street. The swirling drone grew louder and louder with every bar. Those weird chords, those pounding drums, God, they were stirring my brain like it was soup. It got louder and louder. I felt sick. I started thinking, oh God, I'm flipping out here, but... I wasn't scared. I liked it. In fact, I loved it. It was addictive, like I was caught in a trance. Let's get terror into the music. The sound grew and grew. The, the weird strings sounded like they were tearing a hole in reality, opening something in my mind. I wanted more and more, but then it was too loud, too strong. It was like my mind was overflowing. I felt hot. It was like I was burning. Terror. I began to hit my arms because I thought they were engulfed in flames. I couldn't be in that room anymore. I crashed through the studio doors and ran as fast as I could down the corridor and out onto the street. I sucked in as much air as I could hold. It felt redemptive, like I'd escaped the pressure, the suffocating pressure. But then I smelled it. I thought I had imagined it at first, like my mind was playing tricks on me. But soon it became so clear, I was smelling smoke. Actual smoke. Near the sound of the crack. I thought it must have been from the bucket in the studio, but it was stronger this time. A different kind of smell than in the studio. More pungent. Then I looked up and saw it. 
I still remember the terror of seeing it, the guilt of seeing it. The large brick building opposite the studio was in flames. It was burning to the ground. I stared with my mouth open and my eyes streaming from the smoke. I couldn't look away. I couldn't stop asking myself the same question. It reverberated inside my head. What had I done? If you're gonna be hanging around for a while, I guess I should lay down some ground rules. You gotta be groovy, okay? No bad vibes here. Vibes are very important. I've got enough on my plane without another distraction. Plate. I mean, enough on my plate. Okay, I guess you should know the full story. I started to spend a lot of time poking around in here, in my head, that is, after I caught a flight one day. We were heading to Houston from LA. This was Christmas, 1964, I think. The Beach Boys were on tour, and I had a moment where all the pressure I'd been feeling over the last few months finally came to a head. You see, we were pretty famous at this point. We had hit songs like Surfin' USA, Surfer Girl, Be True to Your School, and Fun, Fun, Fun. Another song, Surfin' Safari, went to number one in Sweden. We laughed about that. It, it just felt preposterous to have a number one song in a country you'd never even been to. It felt like this thing we'd become was bigger than we could have ever imagined. In May of 1964, we released I Get Around and got a number one in the US too, our first gold record. I was happy with the success, of course, but it made me feel dizzy. When I started, I just wanted to make music with my brothers and my friends. I didn't care about the business side of things. I left that all to my dad. But that year, things changed. Things got scary. I also got married around this time. I was pretty young, too young. I loved Marilyn, my first wife, but I struggled with the institution. I kept asking myself over and over again, how do you ever know if you're the right person for someone? And how do you know if someone is the right person for you? Sure, I loved her, but I was so uncertain about everything. Everything. Everything except music, that is. One day, I caught her talking to my cousin, fellow beach boy, Mike Love. Mike is funny, friendly, and good-looking. We have a whole history. The two of them were standing close. It looked like they were having fun. They looked a little too friendly, I guess. It got me thinking, what am I doing with this woman? Does she really love me? Did I make the wrong choice? The more I thought about it, the more unsettled I felt. I felt so out of control. I was under so much pressure in my professional life. I couldn't bear being out of control in my personal life, too. Later, I confronted her about it. Do you like him? I asked. Sure, she said. He's a great guy. I said, no, I mean, do you like him? She called me ridiculous, and I erupted. I mean, I lost it. I'd never lost it like that, usually. But it was the sign of what was to come. That's it. 
As I sat on that plane that day in December 1964, waiting to take off for Houston, I couldn't stop thinking about it over and over again. Mike was talking to me, but I didn't hear what he was saying. Make sure we really hear the sound of I just kept thinking about him and Marilyn. My mind flashed back to the two of them talking. Then I saw this image of the two of them kissing, and my pulse quickened. All of a sudden, I felt like I had to get out. Get out of my marriage, get out of this band, get out of this plane. Terror. Open the doors, I yelled. I need to call my mother. I begged him for a phone, then I begged someone to open the doors. But I knew no one could help because by this point we'd already started moving. I could feel the air in the plane's cabin getting thin. You hear the sound of the cracking. I thumped the armrest of the seat as the plane went faster and faster down the runway. God, it kept going faster and faster and faster. My pulse was skyrocketing now, going as quick as we were down the runway. Then we were in the air. I thought I might feel a bit calmer when the plane evened out, but calm never came. The pressure in my head was like being buried under a ton of sand. I couldn't take it anymore, so I unclipped my seatbelt and fell into the aisle. Someone shouted at me to sit down, but I couldn't. I grabbed a pillow from the seat, put it over my mouth, and screamed into it as loud as I could. Are we rolling? I was crying now, too, big tears soaking through the polyester. I closed my eyes and saw Marilyn and Mike kissing again. Then I saw the billboard chart. The Beatles were at the top, and the Beach Boys were at the bottom. Then I saw myself as a kid, stood in front of my dad as he took off his belt. Then my ears rang. Then, nothing. Blackness. When I woke up, I was sitting back in my seat, tears on my face had mostly dried up. I don't remember saying anything for the rest of the flight. I just stared out the window. I carried on staring from the car that picked us up after we landed, and also later when I sat in my hotel room. Hours passed, and the only thing I said was, I want to go home. And so, that's what I did. The rest of the band played the scheduled shows right up until Christmas, and I went back to L.A., after the tour finished, I had the whole band round at my house. Carl, Dennis, Al, Mike, all of them. I felt calm by this stage. I was ready for what I had to tell them. I can't do this anymore, I said, looking at all their faces one by one. What you saw on the plane, that's how I've been feeling inside. Not all the time, but that's the worst it's been. My brother Carl asked if I was quitting. I told him I was quitting touring. I didn't want to get on stage anymore. I wanted to stay home and write songs. That's it. Okay. The guys didn't believe it at first. It took me a while to convince them. I kept coming up with all the positives for it. How I could make albums quickly and they could drop into the studio between shows and record their vocals. How I could concentrate fully on making the songs as good as they could be. It was really the best idea. Finally, they came around to it. Glenn Campbell had been doing such a swell job as pinch hitter in my place on tour anyway, so it all made sense. You know, I never really liked the road anyway. It was never what I wanted. 
I'm always nervous before a show. I never know how an audience is going to respond. It's the uncertainty of it. That's what I can't process. I'm afraid of most things, to be honest. I was born scared. That all disappeared in the studio, though. I knew if I had the time in the studio, I could create something wonderful, and I did, but I just didn't know what it would turn into. Into. 105.4 BRIAN-FM is experiencing some technical difficulties. Please stand by while we try and fix them. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. Plus, what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews, were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high-end skincare that is affordable, and it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. From serum sets to the always sold out retinol alternative TBT cream, you'll find your perfect skincare match. Dime has over 2 million happy customers, and their product reviews are literally five stars. Love your skin again. Go to dimebeautyco.com for 20% off with code GETDIME. That's dimebeautyco.com, code GETDIME for 20% off. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I kept my word after that plane incident. 
I stayed at home while the rest of the Beach Boys toured. When Glenn Campbell's solo career looked like it could take off, Bruce Johnston was called in to replace him. Bruce was a staff producer at Columbia Records. He played in a group called the Ripcords. He had a similar falsetto voice to mine, so I guess he was a good replacement. I was thrilled, honestly. Everything was working as I hoped it would. Everything. In the beginning, anyway. With the band jetting off to wherever, I got to work in the studio on songs, and those songs turned into albums. Albums like The Beach Boys Today, and Summer Days and Summer Nights. And then those albums turned into Pet Sounds. And then Pet Sounds turned into Smile. And then Smile turned into, well, you'll see. Beach Boys Today LP was the first to come out. That record had a song on it called Help Me Rhonda. It's a story of a man who is in love with a woman who finds another man. It's not based on a real person, despite what you're thinking. It's not. It's not. It's not. Sorry about that. It's just that song. It brings back memories. But not about my marriage. About my father. Jeez, I don't want to talk about it right now. Maybe later. Another song from that record was called Don't Hurt My Little Sister. That song was a strange one. It saw me, sort of, work with Phil Spector. Man, I love Phil's records. They meant everything to me when I was learning how to become a producer. They still mean a lot. You know what Phil had? Control. You can't be under pressure if you have control. He was Mr. Control. Okay, are we rolling? His song, Be My Baby, changed my life forever. I loved it so much I even wrote a little homage to it called Don't Worry Baby. Years later, when I wasn't doing so good, I'd get someone to loop the chorus of Be My Baby on high fidelity tape. I'd run it through an echo chamber so it sounded huge. Then I'd sit at my home in my living room and listen to it in the dark. I remember one day, I listened to it for over four hours straight. I couldn't stop. Literally, couldn't. I even kept copies of the song everywhere so I would never be without it. I kept them inside my home, my car, my studio, even the kitchen, everywhere. I still remember the first time I heard the song, too. I was driving and it came on the radio, out of nowhere, like it had fallen from the heavens. Man, I had to pull over to the side of the road. It blew my mind. But it became this kind of curse. I was always trying to make something as good as that song. Trying to, but failing. Brian Wilson, I never thought he was that talented. I'd be more impressed if someone with a brain idolized me. When I heard it, I knew I had to write better songs, produce better albums, just be better. I became so obsessed, too obsessed, I guess. So much so, I started to hear Phil Spector in here, in my mind. That's how much it was embedded in my brain. <laughs> you can imagine how thrilled I was then when he asked me to come into the studio to work on something. I submitted that song, Don't Hurt My Little Sister, to Phil, and we were due to record it with the whole band, all of Phil's people. But it, it didn't go so well. When I got to the studio, I could feel the, the pressure. 
Why don't you play piano on this one, Brian? Phil said. God, I was so nervous. Playing piano in front of someone like Phil Spector. Jeez, I didn't feel worthy. I took a seat at the old white grand and within seconds he barked. Are you going to play then? Sure, sure, I said. I ran my hands over the keys. I fumbled around and played a bum note. Man, Phil looked pissed. I apologized and started again. I ran through the song on the keys and I sang too. It was pretty good, at least I thought so, anyway. However, when I finished, Phil turned to me and looked me dead in the eyes and just said, No. I didn't know what to say. So let's get terror into the music. Then Phil announced he'd rewritten it. I was taken aback and kind of sad. Was it not good enough? I asked him that, but he didn't reply. He just produced these papers from out of nowhere. Papers that had a new arrangement written on them. At the top of the page, I also saw a new title for it. His new incarnation of my song was to be called Things Are Changing for the Better. Now play, he cried, thrusting the paper under my nose. This time I actually jumped. I mean, physically jumped when he shouted. I got straight back to the piano and played as Phil mumbled through the melody. Right, he snapped after I'd finished. Let's try it with the band. We did a couple takes, and again, I thought they were great. I kept thinking to myself, you're playing with Phil Spector. You're playing with Phil Spector. Suddenly, I got carried away. I thought this song could become the new Be My Baby, a new smash hit for Phil written by me. I thought this could lead to us making an album. He could even work on a Beach Boys record with me. What a gas that would be. But as this was all going through my head, I caught a glimpse of his face. He looked like he'd just swallowed a bottle of vinegar. I'm not sure this is working, he said quietly when we finished. I could tell he was disappointed, disgusted even. I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. I started to say I was sorry and he snapped at me. Don't apologize. That's weak. Then he made some excuse about having to be somewhere. I felt ashamed, to tell you the truth. I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. But as I was leaving, it got even worse. I heard him say to someone in the room, I thought he was supposed to be a genius. What a drag. It took me a while to get over that. But in a way, it was good. It made me smarten up. So much so that when I walked into the studio some months later to record a new song, I felt determined to make something Phil Spector could never make. Something new. Something incredible. And I guess I succeeded. I called it Good Vibrations. October 8th, 1971, 8.30 p.m., Chicago. The Coven Street was quiet. 
Catherine O'Leary closed the door to her barn and headed northeast. Inside the barn, her five-year-old red Brangus cow stood still. After a few minutes passed, the cow decided to lie down. And as it did so, its back leg clipped a large oil lantern burning brightly behind her. The flame from the lantern licked the hay in the wood and within moments, the entire barn was engulfed in flames. The red Brangus was burned alive. At first, the rest of DeCoven Street remained quiet, but that all changed in a matter of minutes. The flames from Catherine O'Leary's barn began to jump to the wood frames of the nearby buildings. One by one, more buildings were now burning. The neighborhood was in a panic, and the fire brigade was called, but they were sent to the wrong address. And so for now, the fire was left to cause its devastation. The flames rushed through Chicago's structures, street after street, showing no mercy gaining pace and energy with every second. More buildings, more structures, and then the city's lumber yard and coal storage facility. The explosion of fuel and heat shattered the city's peaceful evening as the flames turned what felt like the entire cosmos a bright red. It was only now that the whole of Chicago realized its fate. Within hours, 3.3 square miles of the Windy City was destroyed. One third of its inhabitants were homeless. On the other side of town, Catherine O'Leary, still walking, heard the bang and quickly pivoted around. She saw nothing but red, orange, and black looming in the night sky. The thick smoke was moving closer to her now, hanging overhead, like at any moment it could come crashing to the ground and swallow her whole. She opened her mouth and screamed. Brian Wilson woke up with a shock. For a moment, he wasn't sure where he was. The dream, it was so real. The cow, the fire, Catherine O'Leary screaming on a Chicago street. Then Brian looked around and got his bearings. Gold Star Studios, Los Angeles, 1967. He was in the control booth, on the couch. He'd fallen asleep still wearing that plastic fire helmet, the kind he made everyone in the session wear. He rubbed his eyes and looked over to the studio's mixing desk. He saw the tape for the song the Beach Boys had recently recorded, Fire, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. And beyond the desk, Arnie Geller, the band's roadie, stood in the doorway. You okay, Brian? Arnie asked. Another dream about being on fire? Nah, it was a new one this time. In this dream, Brian saw how it all began. But Brian didn't want to talk about his dream. He wanted to talk about what he had asked Arnie to do to go find out if what Brian suspected to be true was actually true. Had there been an increase in fires in the LA area ever since they started recording their song? Arnie confirmed that it was true. Brian pulled off his toy hat and put his head in his hands, crying. What have I done? He muttered to himself. I told you, it's voodoo. This is voodoo. Arnie tried to reassure Brian that it was just a coincidence and that there was no way what Brian had been doing in the studio had any actual connection to what was happening in the real world. But Brian wouldn't listen. He knew what he had to do next. He grabbed the fire tapes from the desk and then a bottle of whiskey from the table opposite and ran from the control room. He snatched one of the buckets they had used to burn wood, and as he looked at the charred oak at the bottom of it, his mind's eye pictured the Chicago barn and the burning cow from his dream. He closed his eyes and shook his head violently to cast the images from his head. His pace quickened as he moved out of the building and into the parking lot. And there, with Arnie on his heels, 
Brian threw the tapes of the cursed song into the bucket, ripped the cap off the whiskey bottle with his teeth, and doused the tapes with alcohol. Gasping for air, he pulled a packet of matches from his pocket and struck one straight away. But before we went any further, he stopped. He listened. He heard something. A fire truck siren. Faint at first, but got louder and louder. He turned to Arnie. You hear that? He yelled. Arnie looked worried. It's a coincidence, he shouted back. A coincidence, Brian. Brian took a deep breath. He had to finish what he had started. He tossed the lit match into the bucket and took a step back as flames erupted from it. The heat rushed past his face and smoke coursed up his nose. And for a moment he stood on the concrete outside Gold Star Studios, staring at the flames engulfing the tapes. And then at the hollowed remains of the building across the street that had caught fire only a few days before. And the sight of that burned out building sent the chill down his spine. He closed his eyes and he couldn't look anymore. He started to talk to himself. And at first, Arnie couldn't make out what he was saying, and Brian's lips moved fast as the nearby flames painted them orange and yellow. It sounded like something about fire, or tracks, and then suddenly it was more intelligible. Arnie could swear that Brian was repeating, you can't erase blood on the tracks. Blood on the Tracks is produced by Double Elvis in partnership with iHeartRadio. It's hosted and executive produced by me, Jake Brennan. Also executive produced by Brady Sadler. Zeth Lundy is lead editor and producer. This episode was written by Ben Burrow. Mixing and sound design by Colin Fleming. Additional music and score elements by Ryan Spraker. This season features Chris Anzalone as the voice of Brian Wilson. Sources for this episode are available at DoubleElvis.com on the Blood on the Tracks series page. Follow Double Elvis on Instagram at DoubleElvis and on Twitch at DisgracelandTalks. And you can talk to me, per usual, on Instagram and Twitter at DisgracelandPod. Rock and roll. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.